Support for today's episode of Script Apart comes from We Screenplay. If you just completed a draft of a script and are wondering what next, well, you need to check out We Screenplay. We Screenplay not only offers amazing free resources, like virtual events where your questions are answered by Hollywood's leading professionals, with incredible 72-hour turnaround, format-specific feedback tailored to your specific goals, and a price that no one else can come close to, We Screenplay coverage is used by thousands of writers in every phase of their careers, from emerging writers still finding their voice all the way to Oscar winners. So if your script is all ready to go, check out one of We Screenplay's labs, where dozens of writers have been repped, optioned, and staffed as a direct result of the real-life industry meetings and hands-on workshops offered by We Screenplay. Don't stay stuck. We Screenplay want to help. Check out We Screenplay by visiting wescreenplay.com or clicking the link in today's show notes. Support for this episode also comes from our friends at Screencraft. Breaking into Hollywood as an aspiring writer can be a confusing, convoluted thing. Fortunately, Screencraft is here to help writers with both the craft of writing and the business of Hollywood. Screencraft has everything for your writing journey, from video lectures starring your favorite writers to hands-on career coaching with their excellent writer development team. These guys offer the best screenwriting competitions designed to help your talent shine, featuring judges that really know their genre, from top literary reps to Oscar-winning screenwriters. Hundreds of past winners and finalists have started their careers with the direct support of Screencraft, Winners have been staffed on shows at Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV+, the list goes on. They've also sold scripts and been hired to write films for the likes of Universal, Lionsgate, Blumhouse, and Hulu. So if you're an aspiring writer, what are you waiting for? Don't wait to check out ScreenCraft today. Visit ScreenCraft.org or click the link in today's show notes. Hey everyone, Happy New Year. Welcome back to another episode of Script Apart, a podcast about the first draft secrets of great movies and TV shows. My name's Al Horner and I hope everyone listening had a great festive break and are feeling excited for 2024. I know I am because there are so many great films and TV series on the horizon this year that I can't wait to cover on the show. Kicking us off today is a conversation with a filmmaker I really admire, whose work as a director we've covered on the show before, and whose new survival drama, Society of the Snow, took my breath away. That's right, today we have the great J.A. Bayona with us, delving into a film based on real-life events. The story goes that on October 13th, 1972, a plane carrying 45 passengers and crew, 19 of whom were young rugby players, took off from Carrasco International Airport in Uruguay, heading to Santiago, Chile. The plane tragically never reached its destination. Adverse weather conditions caused Flight 571 to crash into a mountain ridge over the Andes Mountains, one of the most inhospitable places on Earth. Those who didn't die immediately in the wreckage faced the most intense of suffering. For 72 days, these survivors, aged mostly between 19 and 26, endured frostbite, avalanches, and the traumatizing experience of watching teammates and friends one by one perish in the plummeting temperatures. Starving to death in the endless white abyss of the Andes, the passengers of Flight 571 were forced to do the unthinkable, eating the bodies of the deceased as a means of desperately clinging onto life. You may very well know all this already because the story of the so-called Miracle of the Andes has been told so many times before in books, films, TV shows, and documentaries. The details of what happened, how 16 people not only survived, but forged their own rescue, well, that's been very well documented. How it felt to be out there in the wilderness though, the philosophical and spiritual conundrums these survivors faced that's something that hasn't been translated to screen. At least, not till now, not till Society of the Snow. It's a deeply sensitive, cinematic epic that finds transcendence in the true-life tale of Flight 571. The film does stay true to the facts of what went down in that frosty mountain range across those terrible 72 days. In fact, J.A. spent hundreds of hours interviewing survivors before penning the movie's screenplay with his co-writers Bernat Villaplana, Jean Marquez, and Nicolas Casariego. But more importantly, inspired by a great book by Uruguayan author Pablo Viesi, 
He took a lyrical approach to the story, one bordering on the metaphysical, full of dialogue between the living and the dead. In the spoiler conversation that you're about to hear, J.A. tells me what it is about tales involving people forced to confront the full might of nature that he finds himself drawn to again and again as a storyteller. His previous films include the tsunami drama The Impossible and Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, both of which had similar themes of nature versus man. We talk about how the pacing of the plane crash scene was informed by the iconic shower sequence in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which I never would have guessed. Listen out for some fascinating insights on why great survival stories are about emotional survival as much as physical perseverance, and why the film doesn't end on a note of triumph, but something more melancholy. If you haven't seen Society of the Snow yet, be sure to hit pause now and watch on Netflix today, because as ever, we're covering every plot point in this conversation, and I don't want to ruin the experience for you. A huge thanks to JA for being such a thoughtful person to chat with, I've had the pleasure of talking with him a couple of times before about projects like The Orphanage and the recent Lord of the Rings TV series that he directed some episodes of, and he's always such a captivating person to be around. I need to give a big shout out as well on this episode to you guys, the listeners, because over the Christmas break, we passed 1 million downloads of Script Apart episodes. This is an independent podcast with no big publicity machine behind us. It's just your word of mouth helping this podcast get out there. So thank you guys so, so much. A special thanks also to our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com forward slash script apart. If you're not yet a member of that community, but would like to be, we'd of course love to have you on board. There's ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, the chance to ask your questions to upcoming guests and much more at your fingertips when you join that community. The address again, in case you'd like to get involved, is patreon.com forward slash script apart. Okay, let's get 2024 underway, shall we? This is the fantastic J.A. Bayona discussing the first draft secrets of Society of the Snow. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Script Apart. Hosted by me, Al Horner. Produced by Camille Demek. J.A., welcome to Script Apart. Always a delight to chat with you. How's it going today? Good. Uh, very excited to be here and talk about the script. I haven't got the chance yet to really talk about this film as the writer, so, so I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Well, massive congratulations, first and foremost. I mean, th this movie, it moved me to tears on more than one occasion. I, I loved it as a film in its own right, but also as another brick in my understanding of who you are as a filmmaker, J.A. There's something that clearly fascinates you about the might of nature and, and the resilience of everyday people who have to survive when, you know, that might is on full display. So in, in 2012, you, of course, made The Impossible, in which a tsunami threatened the lives of uh, this kind of heroic ensemble of characters. In Society of the Snow, it's an avalanche and, and the desolation of this snowy mountain range. What do you think it is about these kind of stories that you're drawn to? Well, to me, it's more about the emotional survival than the physical survival you know that's more like that, that makes the story so appealing you know it's the fact that you have a tsunami you have an avalanche you have the landscape of the andes and the plane crash you know and that's important you know that deals with this sense of the ordinary becoming extraordinary but at the end of the day, it's about finding a connection with the characters and and the story. Uh, and, and in that sense, to me, it's more about the survival uh, from the emotional point of view, from the human point of view, and not only the, the physical survival. Actually, both films had this moment in common. And you need to think about the impossible I cannot separate the impossible from Society of the Snow because I I was reading I do I was doing research for the impossible at the time the the, the film didn't have a title 
uh, that was during the pre-production. And uh, at that moment, Society of the Snow was published in Spain. And I was so moved. And it was such a big help. Actually, the title was taken from that book uh, because there is a paragraph where Roberto Canessa mentions in, in three, four lines, he mentions seven times the word impossible. And I thought, what a great word. What a great word, what a great title for the film I'm preparing. So the impossible the title was taken from, from that book. But not only the title, but it gave me like, like a very insightful um, way of getting into the inner lives of the characters going through a survival situation. And there were two moments that are very connected. Uh, th there is that moment when, when Naomi Watts and Tom Holland, they are stranded in the middle of the debris and they hear this little baby crying. And, and Lucas, and Maria's son, is worried about his mother. And, and, but the mother says, we need to save that kid. And, and he says, we should, move, we should move on. We should move on because the mother is dying. And she says, we're going to save that kid even if, even if it's the last thing I do which means of dealing with this idea of sur survival from an emotional perspective, from a human perspective, not only the physical survival. And that's actually the, the, the essence of society of the snow, to understand that you and the other ones are the same. And if the, others, if the other ones doesn't survive, you don't survive. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it is an important thing to note about the two stories. Individually, the characters in these films they don't stand a chance. It's it's through kind of the collective coming together that they have the tools to make it through. The, the word society in the title of this film is, is no accident. It's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Why is that message of kind of collective power important to you, J.A.? Well, I think this idea of something that this big idea bigger than you about the, the common goodness that connects us, you know, and it's, it's actually, it's a very positive way of seeing life. So, so the impossible and, and society of the snow could feel like dark movies, but they're totally the opposite. They are about finding light in the worst of the situations. And it's this idea of this common good that it's, it's uh, it's bigger. It's bigger than yourself, you know. One of the books that I read, I never read that book before. Was um, preparing this film was uh, what is this book? Uh, Victor Frankl, um, man searching for meaning, you know. And he's it's it's the story of his um, own experiences in concentration camps and how. Somehow he discovered that you can be taken from everything except one thing, which is your will, your last will. You know, that's exactly what uh, Naomi Watts is asking Tom Holland in that scene. You know, I will save that kid even if it's the last thing I do, you know. And that's exactly what these people understood at the end of their journey, you know. Uh, that uh, There's that line, Gustavo Cervino telling Roberto Canessa, you have the strongest legs. So you need to walk for us, which is the unconscious realization that you and I are the same thing, you know. And that was the essence of the story. That that, that was the end of our exploration. We had the the challenge of telling the story, but at the same time, we were trying to explore what was the essence of the story, what was still left to be told, you know. And I think that that's to me the line that sums up what the film's about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that message of collective power, of, of collective resilience, it's such a beautiful message for right now. Like it's quite a tribalistic time in which, uh, you know, as we speak, society is leaning towards fragmentation. I imagine that must have been one of the reasons perhaps why you wanted to tell this story today, J.A. Like few of us watching at home will ever experience a horror like the one those kids went through. But all of us can benefit from being reminded in 2023 that all we have is each other, especially given the kind of challenges facing us in terms of climate change and things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, at the same time, we are living comfortably at home. You know, we we are watching this most of the time from television, you know, so you really are not in the situation these people are going through, you know. Actually, I remember that I, I was reading, I don't remember now the the title of the a short story from Jack London that I was reading right into the middle of the of the post-production while I was editing the film. And it started with a with a speech on the explorers and how to the journey of an explorer had to deal with this idea of disconnecting with your with the culture you're coming from with with the, these ideas that created your personality in order to adapt to the mountain and if you don't do that you 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 will need to go back home or die you know and in that moment all of on, of being so vulnerable against the mountain, what erases to the surface is the sense of camaraderie. Because when you're abandoned from everyone and from everything, you depend so you depend on the other ones. You know, it's the opposite of Lord of the Flies, for example. You know, Lord of the Flies, it, it, to me, is very easy. Why it's the opposite? Because they're not dying. They are. They really don't understand what is the suffering they are going through. So that, that 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 to me was very important. This film had to be intense, had to be tough sometimes, because only by experiencing those feelings you will understand what they did. If you don't, if you don't understand, and you don't not only understand, because to understand that you really need to go through those emotions. If you don't go through that, those emotions, you will never understand what they what they did. And actually, it was um, it was a shock that we 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 show the film. In Montevideo, before the world premiere, five days before the world premiere, I went back to Montevideo and I showed the film to the survivors, their families and the families of the deceased. And there was a lot of people after 50 years that they were able to understand the survivors, to accept what they did after 50 years, families of the deceased. And that's because the, the film gave them the chance to experience, not only to tell them, but to experience emotionally what they went through. And by doing so, they were able to understand. That must be a great source of pride. No, I mean, it was shocking. It was like, when I, shocking in the best way possible. Yeah. I mean, because there the, the were people who didn't talk for 50 years that were hugging and crying each other, hugging each other and crying together. Uh, and, and, I, and I think actually at the very end, this is what we were looking for somehow without really knowing. It was in a, in a very in, intuitive way. You know, I, I, I read Pablo Vierti's book. It's written 35 years after the plane crash. It's full of unanswered questions. It's full of guilt. Uh, there's lots of conversations between the living and the dead. Not like, like the living talking to the dead. And that sparked the idea of telling the story through the eyes of the dead, because that conversation is what touches this kind of a spiritual layer of the story I was looking for. That was one of the biggest challenges in in, in the in in writing the, the, the script. We we throw the first two drafts to the bin because every time we reduce the story to dialogue and action it felt the same movie that we we saw before you know so we didn't know how to how to touch that kind of spiritual philosophical layer you know and it was when uh, when we realized that it, it had to be through the eyes of numa the last one to die that immediately there was a spiritual connection with the story you know actually what i was doing is i was giving the survivors the chance of give the dead something back in return. You know, there, there are these lines at the end of the film. The voiceover says, uh, the 22nd of December, 16 survivors came back from the mountains. Today, my voice sounds with their words. They say we were all part fundamental of the story. We were all fundamental to make them go back, you know? So that actually, I was like taking this idea from the book. I was taking it one step beyond the same way the dead made the the lives of these people possible 
you know? Now these people were giving the chance of keep these people alive on the screen, give them back their lives on the screen. Yeah. And say and 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 put them in the position, the same position, the same level of of importance in the story. So I I I think what was left to tell in the story? Nothing. There was nothing left. What was left was the chance to say thank you, mm -hmm. which is what I'm allowing the survivors to do with this film, using their words to give voice to the dead. By doing so, I think we are doing a, a totally different experience, a totally different experience, you know? Yeah. And as well as giving poise to the dead, I think it accomplishes something else. Like, for me, I realized when I was watching this film for the second time, how much conventional storytelling had conditioned me to expect the person narrating the story to survive because the narration automatically positions them as the protagonist and heroes are rewarded with survival. But that's not what happens in real life. Exactly. And I loved the way that this film kind of subverted that. It, it kind of acknowledged that this character, Numa, is no less a hero for the fact that he didn't make it, for the fact that he died so agonizingly close to when that rescue helicopter came. If you see the film with the eyes from before, as one character will say, but if you see the film uh, from the inside of the plane, you will you will believe this guy to be a hero, mm -hmm. you know, a different kind of hero. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's it's what triggers to me the complexity. So it's not the hero's journey that we've seen. I remember that there is a book that I love. It's called uh, "It's uh, Finding the Heroes Within." I think it's the title from Carol E. Pearson, and it talks about the twelve archetypes. It's not about it's, it's not about the screen it's not about the screenwriting, but storytelling in general. It's it's more in, in like psychology than 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 storytelling. But it, it it can, and in those twelve archetypes, I found one that matched exactly with Numa, who is the orphan. The orphan is that one who has been abandoned from all his beliefs and he needs to reject that was taken from that book and, and it matched exactly the journey from Numa. He needs to reject all where he's coming from. We're, we're going back to Jack London here. He needs to reject all the culture, all the culture he's coming from and needs to embrace uh, the, 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 the other orphans like him and by doing so, he's able to embrace his ideals again. So he has this ideal of goodness, this idea of justice. And then he gets to the mountain to discover that life is, there's nothing like that in life. Mm -hmm. That life is empty. You have that image of the small figure against the, against the white canvas. That's the image of the man discovering the lack of meaning in life. You know, it's you who needs to fill that gap. That's one of one of the conversations is Numa with Javier Metol, the oldest of the survivors. And they're talking about that. They're talking about the lack of meaning and how it's you who needs to fill that gap. And by doing so, it's talking about us as storytellers because we're dealing with the lack of just of justice. We're dealing with the lack of meaning and we need to give it a, a, a meaning through our stories. You know, so so this idea of Numa being an orphan who discovered that everything he has believed in has abandoned him and then he needs to embrace the other orphans and by doing so, he's able to, to get back his beliefs, you know, this idea of being good, this idea of justice, but from his real personality, not from the place the other ones are expecting, but the place where he can deliver himself to the other ones, which is very, very interesting because at the end, June, Numa's journey, it's a, it's a journey of self-discovery. It's a, it's a journey where he discovers his own shadows and he needs to accept those shadows in order to become a more complete human being a much more complex what is the what is the problem with numa that is so he's so well being 
he's so nice to the other ones, he wants to help, that he's not keeping anything from him, for him. He's not, he, he, he wastes, he wasted himself in the mountain. That's why he died, because he delivered himself to the other ones and didn't kept anything for him. What means he was not human. He, he became like a myth of excellence in the mountain. And that's how he's remembered uh, by, his, by his friends, as a myth of the excellence. But the complicity of life doesn't allow you to survive if you're a, a myth on excellence. You had to accept your shadows. The problem with Numa is that he doesn't realize, he doesn't get that until it's very late. And in that moment, he's not able to survive anymore, but he, he's able to deliver himself to the group. And by doing so, he's able to die in peace, which is the ultimate goal of the character. And by doing so, he can embrace these ideals of being good, being of, of, of justice, you know, of doing the right thing. And by, do, and by doing so, he becomes a hero, but not the hero that we have seen all the time in the Hollywood movies, but a different kind of hero. The word orphan is a very loaded word in your filmography. Yeah. Um, the orphanage, though, was um, like the rest of your feature films, a film in which you were directing from another writer's script. This is the first time as a feature director that you've taken responsibility, that you've extended your authorship to the to the script as well. Mm. Was it kind of the, the weight of responsibility around this story, telling the survivors and the victim stories the right way? Was, was that kind of what caused you to get involved, go that extra step and, and co-write this one? Yeah, also because we spent so so many years working in the script. We've been 10 years trying to finance the film. So all this time I've been talking and working with the different writers. And also the fact that we had the privilege of exploring the story as we were telling the story. In a way, for example, that we did this kind of thing that Mark Bergman used to do, which was to stay two months rehearsing the film with the actors. And while while we were rehearsing, we were rewriting. So we 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 found ourselves in this situation that we spent uh, like like a long time working in the script, but then that that script, we had two months to rehearse, and those scenes were put in con in in contrast with the actors and with the survivors, mm -hmm. and 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 then we were rewriting. It was very interesting. Let me let, let me give you an example. You know, there is this. Um, if you are familiar with the story, there is this moment that is pretty popular in, 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 in the story. When they heard on the radio that the search was over, right after that, Coco Nicolich put everyone in, inside the plane together. And he, he did this speech where he said, I have good news and bad news. The bad news, the search is over. The good news, we depend on ourselves now. Which makes for a great scene. It's a great scene, you know? Yeah. Okay, so we are in the rehearsals and I, 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 there's no way I could find the connection between the moment they hear on the radio and how I bring back all the people and put them in front of Coco Nicolich saying that speech with this kind of like, this kind of like calm telling that. And I, 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 I was with the actors and I was struggling. I didn't know how to do it. Like, like going from that scene to, to the inside of the plane. So there was a moment that I called the survivors and I, and I asked them, how, how, how did you go from there to there? Just to do the blocking, you know? Yeah. And then finally one of them told me, well, you know what? That never happened. Oh, really? It was completely That was an invention from one of us because it's such a good scene, <laughs> you know? But, but I realized that the, the moment I was so close to the reality all the time with the actors and the survivors and the story that there were moments that we couldn't identify the, the things that really didn't happen because they didn't make sense. So I found myself a lot telling the writers, don't try to make it more interesting. It's a pretty interesting story, you know? <laughs> don't try to make it more dramatic, more interesting. Try to understand why they did yeah. what, what, why, why they did what they, what, you know? So I... 
so so that was the, the the exploration that we were doing uh during the rehearsals trying to make sense of everything trying to trying to be as close as the reality as possible and during the during the shoot we the, the actors had so much information after two months of rehearsals reading the book stay in contact with the survivors and they were so exposed to the context because they were shooting in real locations real snow real like experiencing cold experiencing hunger experiencing sense of isolation because they were from Argentina and Uruguay and they were shooting in Spain. So they were for six months without seeing their families or their girlfriends. So like like we had the perfect context to make the story keep growing on set, you know, and try to make it better and better and better. So there was a moment that I, I had to become a writer because I was there from the very beginning till the end, exploring the story with the, the other writers. That really shows in the film because... I mean, this is presumably why it took 10 years to get financing. There's a version of this film that does kind of indulge the the sensationalized elements of the story. There's also a version that was shot on a soundstage, which would have been easier for everyone involved. But as you've touched on, this is a story about suffering and the endurance of suffering. I guess there would have been an inauthenticity about Society of the Snow, like a, a disconnect between the film and its theme had you flinched away from some of the suffering or sanitized it in some way, had you not gone to these locations yourselves and exposed yourself to some of the the inclement weather and all that sort of thing. It really is such a visceral film. Decisions were obviously made before a single word was written in terms of the screenplay. Like uh, you commit to the kind of brutality that the kids experienced and you commit to showing that on screen. Like we we see the snapping of ankle bones in the plane crash. Like mm-hmm. we experience the flooding of lungs with snow during the avalanche scene. Was there anything in that search for authenticity, in that search for both kind of experiencing the suffering as a film crew and experiencing the suffering as an audience? Was there anything that um, you, you ended up pulling back from in terms of, you know, the violence of it being too much? Was there anything that kind of crossed a line that happened in real life, but you decided not to show because it it crossed a line in terms of preserving the dignity of the survivors and the victims, anything like that? But you know, the interesting thing is that we did everything. Really? Did everything. I mean, like, 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 I went the actors go through the whole journey. So they did everything that we shot some of the scenes where they were like, really, you really see them doing what they did in the mountain, the way they were um, eating uh, and the way they were using uh, the, the the bodies. Uh, but I knew as I was shooting those scenes, I knew I was not going to include them in the film uh, because um, it was um, it was so graphic that there, w- there is no way to understand those images from the from home, you know. Yeah, you really needed to be there to understand those images, you know, but it was very good for the actors to go through that because shooting chronologically, uh, um, when you get to the end and you see, uh, the, you see the actors, you see, you can see somehow that they went through all that. Yeah. It's like when some, in the rehearsals, for example, we do a, a lot of scenes that are not in the script to create memories. Those memories are very helpful for the actors because they help them to to create the links between the characters, and 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 to create connections and 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 they help them to understand better the story. You know, so it's the same way we 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 create memories in the rehearsals. We had to go through everything they do, they did in the mountain. Even though sometimes I knew I was not going to use that. I remember I was with Pablo Vierzi, the author of the book, during all the shoot. And and I was telling him, don't worry, we're, we're not going to show that in the film, you know. But it's as we were doing that, and and I always was shooting it from a very, with very meticulously, you know, in a way that was respectful. But it was in any way it was very strong, you know. So I I knew that I was not going to use much of the material of that because I really wanted to keep them a sense of intimacy and respect for the survivors and the dead. But it was important for the actors to to go through those images to understand the whole journey. Are you able to share what any of those images were or, or is that something private to you and the, and the cast? No, I mean, we, we, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's like, I remember I talked to Pablo Yelsi, who 
is a friend of them since um, since since school, and he's a psychologist. Um, and he's actually the guy who was with Pierce Paul Reed translating the interviews when they wrote in 1973, Alive. And he told me something very interesting that the the way to process what they were doing is that they did this dissociation. So they they were able to do what they were doing, but not really going through it. Yeah, sure. You yeah. know, it's it's a very kind kind of complex. Uh, but it was a dissociation between what they were doing and what they were feeling. I remember one of them told me the first day we were, the first day we used the bodies, we felt miserable. We felt like shit. I mean, we 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 had the worst time of our lives. The second day we were on a line waiting for our portion of food. You know, so it, it was immediate the way they accepted and started to do it. Imagine after 72 days, it became a routine, which there actually there is a line in the script that talks about that, you know, what what felt impossible became uh, a routine and then we stopped giving it importance or something like that, you know. The thing is that if you want to put the audience into their minds, how can you put the audience into their minds if they were going through this kind of dissociation? It's by not giving importance to what they're doing. And this is what we do in the film. The way we shot it and the way we show it, it's totally, it's getting rid of all the horror. Yeah. You know, because it's a horrible story focused all the time in in not showing the horror because they never felt, went through that feeling feeling that emotion the only moment that they felt horror was the cr- the plane crash and the, and the, and the aftermath the first night you know but uh, as soon as they were able to sleep at night not feeling cold and as soon as they kind of started to use the the bodies they 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 were they 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 stop feeling like that. The hardships that these kids go through, they kind of hit harder because we fall in love with them quite quickly. And again, I've watched the film twice and I've tried to work out what it is that it's doing so efficiently in terms of those opening scenes before the crash. Mm. There's a lot of kids and there's a lot of personalities to assign, but you manage to kind of like map out who a lot of these characters are very quickly and you kind of care for them and you care for the fact that like they've got crushes, they've got their whole lives ahead of them and they're thinking about what what lies in their futures. Can you tell me about like, yeah, that, that beginning portion of the film because it seems integral for what happens afterwards to matter. Yeah, actually it works almost as a teenage film, you know, like, like yeah. has these uh, songs from the, from the time, you know, from the period, uh, this energy, you see them playing rugby, you see them... In a in a church, but instead of um, relying in the um, solemnity of the mass, we are we make it look like fun. Yeah, you know. Then you then you see them in a bar, talking about and uh, going to 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 Chile, while there are protests in the outside. So you you are touching a little bit also the political context, you know. So so you 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 see the the joy of being young and have all your life ahead of you. And then that changes in a second, you know? Uh, and and there's like 180 twist, you know? Uh, 180 degrees twist, you know, that, that life like suddenly is totally, is, it changes, you know, it's after the plane crash, you know? And it changes in in all aspects. It changes the 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 the, the, the rhythm of the film. Changes the sound of how the how the film sounds. Changes the landscape. You know, changes our lives. You know, it's like it's the, it's a big change also in 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 the way we approach the story. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it was very important to see them in that context to understand how they what they did in the mountain. You know, it's it's important not only to understand what they did, because uh, when you know that these guys were 
students uh, uh, they were studying law they were studying medicine so so they they applied those that knowledge in the mountains so when they need to talk about using the bodies one of them talks about um, talks about it from the medicine perspective the other one from the legal aspects of it you know they have this remarkable way of facing that problem of sitting down all together and very calmly talk about it you know but then also as a as a reaction to it because as as i said before they they need to accept a different aspects of their personality uh, in the mountain the, the mountain is forcing them to 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 forget where they are coming from and accept who they are in the mountain and that was in, and we needed to see that in order to understand that kind of behavior in in, in the mountain the abrupt change that comes with that plane crash scene which really is one of the most kind of brutal plane crash scenes in cinema history. Like, how did you approach that on the page, Jay? Like, I'm, I'm curious, especially if there are any particular details from all the hundreds of hours of interviews that you did with, with survivors that helped kind of unlock how real that scene is, how, how kind of unapologetically it puts yeah. you as a viewer on that plane. Yeah, I think it, it's, I, I follow all the time the same methodology. It was interviews trying to figure out what happened, which was a challenge, especially in the accident. When we sat down with the survivors, the, most of them had different views on what happened. One of them will tell you that it was a huge air bump. Other ones will tell you it was three air bumps, not only one. Other one will tell you there was no any air bump at all, you know. So, so actually, I was in the middle of this situation where, okay, guys, you need <laughs> to tell to me what really what really happened in that <laughs> play, you know. Uh, and I was with Pablo Bierzi, and he's a journalist, so he 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 followed this methodology that, for like sometimes journalists follow. It's like if three people were in in the scene and they tell you the same thing, that's what happened, you know. So we 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 did all these interviews trying to get all the details. Uh, what was the, um, the, the, how everything changed so fast, how they didn't know what was really happening, you know? So, so that gave us the, the context to create this first section that it's all about anticipation. We know that something is going to happen because we know what the film, the film we're going to watch. So you already had that tension, you know, and there is this, this change from the moment they get into a cloud and, and the mood changes, the light changes, and you start to hear those bumps, you know, to feel those bumps, you know. We never got into the cockpit, uh, first of all, because we didn't know what happened in there. We know that, that it was an error, a human error. Because the army recognized it was a plane from the army. It was an error, a human error. But we didn't know exactly what happened. So out of respect for the pilots, we never got into the cockpit. But at the same time, by not getting into the cockpit, we don't know what's going on, which is exactly uh, the, the feeling they went through. So we stay most of the time inside the plane. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't really see the shots from the outside. There are only three or four. And actually we had more, but we decided to get rid of them in editorial. So we stay very, in, we, it's kind of like a very immersive experience. We stay with them, not knowing much of what's going on. And slowly, boom, there is this big hit that when you talk to the survivors, it, it was almost like, 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 um, like, like, like they could all almost refer uh, uh, all the, the physical pain to me it was how can i capture the physical pain how can i capture the the how brutal it was and you know one of the it's a it's a very funny reference but one of the references i gave um the the cinematographer uh pedro luque was the shower of psycho so it's this kind of anticipation where very slowly things are changing and you uh, focusing the characters, not knowing more of what they know, of what they knew, and suddenly, bam, 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 bam. You know, so it's a shock, you know. And and and, and I was telling Pedro, it's like the shower in Psycho. Suddenly, <laughs> and I was telling the visual effects guys, you know, designing like an animatic, and suddenly it's like, bah, 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 bah. and we need to feel the physical pain. We, the audience needs to, it needs to hurt, you know. Um, 
So that's why we focus in, in some elements that are so effective when you see the bones of a leg crashing, you know, that these kind of things that you know that are very effective. But there's not a single uh, drip of blood in, in, the, in the scene. It's all, uh, most of the times it's what you think that you are seeing and, you're, and not what you are really seeing. Why did you decide not to show any blood? Because there was not, not much blood, actually. It was the, all the seats moving forward, crashing the survivors. And it's actually the first time you see, the, the, the first moment of the aftermath, it's instead of blood, what you see is feel that is blue. So it, I, I thought I, I really wanted to get a sense of how lost they were. So suddenly the camera is upside down. The, the the liquid is like flying because the camera is upside down, but the audience doesn't know. And instead of red, it's blue. So you feel lost. And then you realize it's because the character is is upside down and, and, and that it's not blood, it's feel, you know. But I, I was like really trying to capture this um, sense of being lost and not knowing what, what happened. Yeah, the disorientation exactly is, is quite, quite incredible. There are so many moments of hardship that I could ask you about as, you know, they, they engage in this kind of practical survival mode, trying to find answers, first of all, trying to kind of like get the attention of, of rescue parties. And, and there are all sorts of solutions that they try, none of which work. We could talk about those moments of hardship, but as you touched on earlier, this is a film so much about like the moments of light as well. It's not like a movie that's you know, a succession of torture porn moments. It's as much about like the moments of unity that they're able to find even amidst this incredibly charged, incredibly difficult situation. Can you tell me how you metered those moments out, how you kind of paced them throughout the film? Because they really do sustain you as a viewer. Whenever it seems to get too dark, there is a little moment that just warms your heart a little bit. Yeah. No, we have to deal with that. You know, it's it's so such an emotional journey. Actually, the actors were crying all day in front of the camera. Every day there was an emotional scene where the actors were crying. Or But then in editorial, we, we kept this idea of restraint because, uh, I mean, you, you will, we, we, we didn't want the audience to get exhausted to the end. So actually there was a lot of repetition because basically the what they did in the mountain was to eat and sleep. They didn't do much. So most of the days were bored days where they were not doing anything. So so it, it was it was a challenge to find the pace and to find those moments of relief that ultimately makes the moment of pain more effective, you know, because it, you're able to connect with the characters in those moments. There is just before the avalanche. There is this moment where they they start to sing payadas. Payadas is something that I didn't know what it was. Payadas is this kind of like um, like like singing with rhymes yeah. that the shepherd in in Uruguay used to do. They used to do this kind of singing, like like. Uh, it's kind of improvisation that the rappers do, you know, like when the rap singers, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's like a like a tradition from the shepherds of Uruguay where they do these rhymes singing, and that was that was very interesting, and 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 you need to improvise them. So I remember that in, during the rehearsals, we play with that moment. Um, I ask each of them to come with a with a payada. To the rehearsals, and and then we 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 write in the script one payada per character, and of course, it, on set, I was asking for, for to improvise one. So I okay, so it's your turn now, Coco. <laughs> so he will do his payada, and then I will say by surprise, okay, a new one, and they they found themselves like like in the position of having to improvise one. And by doing so, you, you keep the energy of the actor, you keep them alert, and you keep this, this sense of being organic with the idea. So because in the script, is, the whole idea was to portray this moment of relax. That happened, the avalanche, that, the, the, to me, that, that happened on the day 16. And a couple of them told me that it was the first day that they were able a little bit to breathe 
because they they were able to fix the situation of the cold. They 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 were able to find ways to keep themselves warm at night, and they kind of fix the situation using the bodies uh, for food. So for the first time in 16 days, they were able to breathe, to get some kind of relief. And in that day, they got the avalanche, you know, which makes it so, there's this aspect of the of nature that is almost uh, sadistic, you it's know, cruel. like, like it's so yeah. cruel, which arises again, the question is why? Why the guy who does the most died 10 days before the rescue? Why the moment after, after going through surviving a plane crash, surviving a first night at 30 degrees below zero. Why after using the bodies of my friend, why after that, you send me that and you kill eight of my friends in front of me, you know? So that why was the big question in, in the film. And, and that's the exploration to understand why, what was the meaning of that? And you almost articulate that like explicitly. There's um there's a voiceover towards the end of the movie where... Numa says, they don't feel like heroes because they were dead like us and only they got to come home. Now, when they remember us, they ask themselves, why didn't we all come back? What does it all mean? And then there's a cryptic line. You'll need to find out yourselves because the answer is in you. That's the, that's the moment I refer Joseph Campbell after destroying the hero's journey throughout the film, you know, that is the moment I refer Joseph Campbell. That's a, that's a line I, I, I read from Joseph Campbell that I thought was very interesting because he mentions how each personality, how each person is unique and each of us is an answer. So I basically spent the whole shoot, 140 days, trying to look for an answer. And then I, I, I realized that each life was an answer, an answer for them. So, so it's like the, the Javier Metol telling Numa in that scene, "You need to find a reason. You need to. You need to fill the gap. You need to find. You know." And so it's an answer for each of them, but also each each life of the survivors was the reward of the people who died there. Mm -hmm. Each of them was the answer. Why? Why did we die? Why? Look at the last shot of the film. You know, that's the answer. You know, so each of them is the answer for the dead and for the of and for the living. And it implicates the audience as well. Like we have to exactly find because I'm, I'm telling the audience, look, fill the gap by yourself. You know, which is what makes the film more interesting to me because I'm not giving them the answer. You know, that's the thing that what I am be always about when I see Stanley Kubrick movies or. Terence Malick movies, you know, uh, that it's they're so good in keeping the mystery alive all the time that you can watch their films again and again and again, and every viewing of the film you will find a different, different, different things, you know, in in the in in the film, you know, you will you will every time you see those films, it's a different experience, you know, and 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 to me that's the, the ending tries to somehow get into that area where I, I I leave the audience to find the answer by themselves. Well, I definitely had that experience. Like the first time I watched the film, the, the relief of their rescue, I think kind of carried me towards the credits much more so than on the second time when I, I became really aware of the choice that you had made to kind of add in this coda. Like a lot of filmmakers would have ended on the note of triumph of them flying off into the sunset in the helicopter. But instead, you have this kind of coda in which we see these survivors in the showers. They're kind of, they've got these skeletal bodies that are kind of trembling under the water. We see them awake at night. In fact, like one of my, one of the most telling shots, I think, is there's this kind of transition where you go from a, a sheet in the plane, kind of mm -hmm. waving in the wind, to someone in their bed at night with the, the kind of shadow of the curtain in their hospital ward, kind of waving in the same way. And it seems it's just, it seems as if you're saying that the nightmare didn't end with their rescue, that there's a part of these characters that will always be inside that plane. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about, like, as I say, like th there's a more conventional ending to this story that's a bit more like victorious, but there's a note of tragedy yeah, to this almost. I think, I think one of my favorite shots is when one of the survivors... Fito Strauch told me that 
he got into the helicopter and he looked back at the plane and he was kind of nostalgic about leaving that place. That place that was hell for them for 72 days where they went through the worst experience of their lives and he was kind of feeling nostalgic. Why? Because somehow what they experienced in there was so incredible in terms of the experience. Like um, there's this beautiful line from, from another character. We never were better persons than in the mountain. That way of experience life at its worst, but also at its best, the way they behave, the way they deliver themselves to the other ones. If you need my body, I give you the permission to use it. I mean, that level of intensity, you know, it's in that look when the character looks back and, and, and it's like leaving home, even though home was terrible, you know, but they were never better person than in that plane, you know. So they will stay there for the rest of their life somehow. Actually, when you read the book, you 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 notice that they are still there, and some of them keep going again and again, keep going, keep coming back to the mountain. They, there is something that still attracts them from 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 being there. You know, I was trying to ref, re, referencing referencing that. You know, um, I also was very attracted to the idea that um, they were the homecoming you know they were treated as heroes they had the home the homecom the welcoming of of astronauts you know and they were feeling miserable for coming from eating the bodies of their friends but they were greeted as heroes everywhere the word the word heroes was everywhere you know they couldn't recognize themselves in the tale which is what happened when they decided 35 years after the plane crash to write another book because they didn't recognize themselves in the in that story of heroism of cannibalism of heroes that 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 story was much bigger than all that you know so 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 the, that that whole ending is about that. It's not about getting a getting a, a plane or a horse towards the horizon with the with the sunrise. You know, uh, it's it's about the complexity of of the situation they went through. Is you know the first thing the civilization did when they came back was to send them apart. They they got to that hospital and they found themselves sleeping alone in in each one each one of them in a in a single room. What 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 they did is at night they gathered to, they come along together, they replicate the plane, because that's that's that to me was the, the the perfect ending, because that tells the audience that they 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 the, the strong bond the strong society they created will go beyond the the plane, and also the fact that they need to gather together they need to see at the at the eyes of their friends in the mountain to recognize themselves. To, to know who they were, because if they talk to the journalists or they talk to the families, they will not recognize themselves in the tale. That's why the movie starts with Numa telling the survivors, we're going to go back and tell the story again. It's Numa telling them the story, not, not anyone from, from the rest of the world. It's somebody from the inside telling them, let's go back and try to find a meaning for this. Just finally, J.A., because we're running out of time. Well, you've mentioned a few times over this conversation, you know, the outpourings of emotion that telling this story sparked in the survivors who kind of got to grapple with, with this event anew from, from a fresh perspective after 50 years. You've talked about how like it unleashed in the cast, this, this outpouring of emotion, they were crying on set. When did the emotion come for you? Like, has there, has there been a particular moment in this journey, this 10 year journey where it has all kind of come to the fore yeah. and you found yourself. Yeah. And it, to me, it's, it's that moment when 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 you see the people dying, giving the only thing that they had left, which was their last energy to give words of support to the other ones and their bodies. So when you have, and that's, again, we go back to Viktor Frankl. When you have been taken from everything you have, what is left is the chance of doing the right thing, you know? And for them, the right thing was to give their souls, their last words 
to support their friends, to tell them you're going to make it, and their bodies to give them the fuel to make it. To me, that's so transcendent. The idea of understanding that if you live, I live. We have this, this line in Spanish, volver para contarlo, which means to, to go back to tell the tale. But it's not me who's going to tell the tale. It's, it's you who's going to tell the tale. And we are giving the chance, the survivors, to tell the tale. But not only the tale they've been talking for 50 years, but the tale that includes the other ones and with the intention of saying somehow thank you, of rescuing the memories of those who were so important for them to go back home. And that's to me the most emotional aspect of the story. Uh, to understand that you and I are the same thing, and if 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 that's that's Joseph Campbell, by the way, yeah. you know that's again <laughs> like and this understanding of the this idea of the um, the unconscious realization that we are all part of the same thing, you know. Yeah. Well, Jay, the movie ends with with the words "keep taking care of each other." And uh, I'll, I'll end and this one more, And that one that is even more important for this podcast. And keep telling everyone what we did in the mountains. Exactly. Because stories are important. Couldn't agree more. I can't thank you enough for this film. I can't thank you enough for this conversation, J.A. It's oh, been so cool. fascinating. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Scripts Apart. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder that if you want to help the show continue to grow, you can join us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash script apart or clicking the link in today's show notes. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.